Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name's Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management Magazine, as well as the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Carl Siebrecht to our podcast. Carl is the co-founder and CEO of Flex, which is based out in Seattle. Carl is a seasoned technology executive with leadership experience in both startups and large global corporations. Prior to co-founding Flex, Carl was CEO of AdReady, a Seattle-based advertising technology company. He's also a founding board member of Energy Savvy, a SaaS-based solution for energy efficiency management. And previously, he served as president of Atlas at Aquantiv before its $6 billion acquisition by Microsoft. And also earlier in his career, Carl was a manager at Bain & Company in Boston, as well as a diving officer in the United States Navy. Hey, Carl, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, Carl, for those that are listening in that may not be familiar with Flex, can you just sort of provide a real basic overview of what it is you guys do, um, your types of customers you serve, verticals you serve, things like that? Of course. Yeah, Flex delivers technology-powered omni-channel logistics programs to very, very large enterprise companies. We work with most of the world's largest retailers and most of the world's largest uh, consumer products companies. And really what's different about our solutions from uh, traditional solutions, logistics services-based solutions, is that we allow our customers to move very, very fast at scale um, so that it brings a new level of agility to the supply chains in their businesses. And that's an area where, as most listeners I'm sure can appreciate, uh, agility has not really been very possible in the past. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Um, And with warehousing sort of uh, uh, obviously huge core um, uh, of your, of your business, why don't we look at sort of the warehousing the, the the economy through a warehousing lens, if you will. In other words, the or, or the current state of the warehousing economy. I'm getting tongue-tied. How would right. you sort of assess? How would you sort of assess it? What's happening? Gosh, there's just so many moving parts, uh, seemingly changing on a daily basis when we look at all the different uh, things that go into that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, the state of the warehousing economy, I would describe as just very dynamic. In the past couple of years we have seen really historically low vacancy rates. And uh, it's probably the tightest market we've been in since uh, anyone started tracking the metrics, at least on on an industry level. Um, A lot of this has been driven um, both by the rise in e-commerce fulfillment, uh, which takes more warehouse capacity uh, per dollar of retail sales than uh, traditional brick and mortar fulfillment. So that's one of the sort of fundamental drivers of warehouse capacity. Uh, and of course, another driver has been, um, uh, you know, the very, very strong economy that we've had over the past uh, decade up until mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, what, eight, nine months ago uh, when we started changing the direction of interest rates. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, we're, we're obviously uh, uh, kind of in a holding pattern in, in a sense with a lot of a lot of talk about a, a looming recession, but we don't need to jump into that right now at the moment. Um, 
you know, it was interesting and in, in, uh, just something you and I had talked about a, a few weeks before for our interview, uh, which is now on the logistics management website. You know, at the beginning of the pandemic, Carl, there definitely was a school of thought that shopping online was going to be the permanent preferred approach for consumers with uh, sort of in-store shopping, lessening, abating, however, however you want to view it. Obviously, things have reopened up. People are back in the world. That's changed. So how do you sort of reconcile the shift between what people thought was going to happen and what has happened? And and this is by extension, what that really means for companies like Flex and other uh, industrial real estate developers, warehousing or in the warehousing distribution space, et cetera, you know, as they build out future roadmaps. Yeah. Look, what everybody knows and, and, and many companies saw it very early on uh, when COVID uh, hit uh, as early as you know March 2020, there was a spike in e-commerce sales, um, yes. and for for very obvious reasons. And that spike continued uh, through the months and quarters of COVID. And so, of course, the question then became, you know, is this going to be a permanent shift in the curve, or is this a blip uh, that will be reset to pre-COVID growth rates? And you know, there were there were uh, very smart people on both sides of that argument. And frankly, it was an unknowable thing um, because the argument for, hey, this is a permanent shift included the fact that uh, demographics of people, uh, a notable one is older uh, generations who hadn't really purchased much online. Now they didn't have a choice. And so there were new adopters to that uh, to that channel of sales. And so the question was, well, you know, hey, these people are now used to it. They're, they're comfortable with their credit cards online, everything else. You know, yeah. my parents were uh, part of that mix, you know, and, and uh, you talk to them and they're like, hey, this is actually easier than I thought. And so <laughs> the question, you know, is, you know, is this going to be permanent? Uh, and what we see in the data is uh, things have really kind of reset back to pre-COVID growth levels. Are there new consumers in the market of, of uh, online e-commerce? Absolutely. But but the growth rate, you know, if you just now there's enough quarters of data post-COVID, you can sort of draw the line and see that, yeah, the, the, the growth rates have basically shifted back to pre-COVID levels. So what are the implications uh, to retailers and, and, and the companies that sell through or to retailers? Well, uh, an implication was depending on which forecast you took as the as your bet on the future, either this is a permanent change or this is a one-time change, uh, you probably made different investment decisions, right? And if you were wrong, uh, you know, you're now dealing with uh, how to unwind uh, the investments you may have made if you thought it was going to be much bigger or, uh, you know, somehow change the plan, change the way you're executing based on the fact that your forecast wasn't what you had thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Terrific point. Um, the National Retail Federation, Carl, uh, also more commonly referred to as simply the NRF, uh, earlier this year, not really not that long ago, they're called in their uh, holiday sales forecast, which they, they describe as the months of November and December, um, they're calling for a record year for holiday season retail sales. Uh, but buried within that is interesting. They, they're pegging e-commerce sales alone to account for a quarter of that and nearly $270 billion, which uh, if it hits would be a new record. So right. 
that's very significant in itself. But I'm I'm curious as to your thoughts and how does that really help or bolster the need for efficient warehousing and distribution services? I mean, and I just ask that. I sort of you can't help but think that number is going to inch up year over year, just given the proliferation of people that order and buy goods online. That's right. Yeah. Look, in 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 normal times. Uh, which I think roughly we're in, uh, again, yeah. from, a, from a COVID perspective. In normal times, we can and should uh, expect e-commerce to, to set a new record every year, right? Because not only is the uh, economy generally growing every year, again, sort of uh, TBD on the coming year, depending on the um, recession or not, right? Uh, but the share of retail sales that are sold through e-commerce is growing. And will likely continue to grow um, for you know five, ten plus years because that channel is gaining share over brick and mortar sales in general. Uh, so, you know, what are the implications for warehousing and fulfillment capabilities in particular? Well, you know, uh, the obvious one is you've got to keep adding more capacity uh, to keep up with this um, general rate of increase. And by the way, the increase is kind of at the industry level is high single digits, maybe low double digits. Uh-huh. Um, so we're not talking like crazy growth uh, any longer as the as the e-commerce industry has matured. So that's one implication. The other implications, frankly, have less to do with just the year-over-year total growth, and they have much more to do with the changing consumer behaviors around how they want to buy and uh, how fast they want or need you know, maybe if if this were video, I'd put that in air quotes, but how fast do you <laughs> need the product to be delivered? And then, uh, you know, have you changed your behavior in any other way uh, along the lines of things like, we talked about this in the interview, uh, buy online, pick up in store. Oh, yeah. I like to order online, but hey, maybe I want to pick it up in the store. So that's a different consumer behavior, which has very significant implications on your warehousing and fulfillment uh, and your retail store footprint. Okay, yeah, no question about it. And and, and for for those in the audience, uh, Carl just mentioned uh, buy online, pick up in store. It's uh, the common acronym. In case you've seen it and we're wondering what it is, is simply BOPUS. <laughs> uh, it's kind of funny sounding, but uh, you know, it, it's definitely becoming a, a tried and true method for uh, for consumers uh, as it relates to online shopping. Um, you know, Carl, in shifting to more of a, a seasonal. Uh, slant, if you will, you know, th- this year it's it, it's different than others, I, I, you know, just because of what we've been through the past few. And and I'm trying to get at peak season. Uh, peak season has changed wildly in recent years. But, you know, when we when we look at like things from a holiday season perspective, you know, based on your company's interactions with the retailers and brands you work with, what are some of the challenges that they are telling you that they're up against this year, just given uh, sort of the conflicts related to things that we see, like inventory projections, consumer right. demand levels, and and other things too, of, of which surely there are several. Uh, kind of an open-ended question there, but I'd just be interested to hear what they're telling you guys. Yep. Yeah. What we're what they're telling us, and and what we're helping them navigate through. A couple of things are number one is uh, you know a lot of retailers have uh, had lots of inventory. <laughs> inventory glut uh, is, is one of the terms that, that uh, people use. 
Uh, and this is in part a hangover from uh, the COVID dynamics, right? You know, yeah. circa a year plus ago, uh, the fear was not enough inventory because manufacturers were were temporarily closed um, and or uh, ships weren't sailing across the ocean. Uh, and so a lot of retailers were running out of inventory and missing sales. That's a terrible thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the strategies was we got to get ahead of inventory. Let's let's buy more. Let's get it across the ocean so that we can um, not miss these revenue opportunities. Great. Uh, one of the knock-on impacts that that has had is, is many uh, retailers find themselves in a position of very high inventory levels. Okay, so it's just sort of the you know the next uh, 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 wave in the bullwhip effect, right? And so, but as as a retailer thinks about, okay, I've got a lot of inventory in the holiday seasons coming up. What am I going to do? Of course, should I discount? If so, how much? Um, and the discounts uh, will drive either more or less demand in a Q4 scenario, right? So one of the things we've seen is the Q4 peak is actually a little bit less peaky uh, because more people started buying earlier in the holiday season in part, in large part, because more retailers were discounting earlier to move some of that inventory. And so, uh, you know, it's a good thing that it, it starts to solve the inventory problem. It's probably a bad thing for gross margins at some level, right? Because we're discounting, but yeah. it has also removed some of the steepness of the peak. Again, we don't we don't know. Uh, we've had the Black Friday experience. Everyone's probably read about that and 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 where those numbers are. Um, we've got another what two weeks to go. But those are a couple of the dynamics that we have seen and we've helped our customers navigate with. Hey, if you've got inventory glut, you know you need some place to put that inventory. Great, uh, we can solve for that through you know a lot of the flexibility that we can uh, offer in particular. Uh, and then uh, where are you keeping your inventory? If you're, as another example, if your buy online, pick up in store uh, sales are increasing, um, and this is a kind of a different topic, which which we can get into or not. But if your if your BOPIS is increasing, then typically, and and what we've seen from our customers is you got to replenish your stores faster because you're moving more product through that physical footprint faster. So again, great that that BOPIS sales are picking up, but if you can't restock your stores fast enough. Uh, you may gain the sale through BOPUS and then lose a sale because the consumer walks into the store and and whatever they wanted to buy is not on the shelf. No, that's a great point. You and you kind of uh, you you kind of uh, asked what what I was what my next question was going to be. But I'll just take it one step further because it, it did have to do with BOPUS, and that just sort of had to do with uh, the 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 view or the approach of the regionalization, if you will, of the flex model given the rise of BOPIS and coupled with what is going on with e-commerce. I mean, do, you look at that National Retail Federation projection and you just look, look at it on an anecdotal basis. Uh, while we are still in stores, we're all still doing a fair amount of online, uh, online shopping too. So right. from a regional perspective, in terms of, your of how your model is set up, what, what, ha what happens there? What, what should people know? Yeah. So look, the regionalization of um, of has, um, you know, been happening for what, 10 years, even more, if you look at uh, Amazon kind of leading the charge in this starting more like 20 years ago. Yeah. And the regionalization just simply means 
you know, rather than have one central location, let's just talk e-commerce, one centralized location for all my e-commerce orders, you know, hopefully somewhere around Indianapolis or Memphis and ship them all out of one hyper-efficient million square foot building. Um, that was an early strategy, um, but the market shifted, the consumer demand shifted in large part because Amazon uh, showed people a better way. Hey, I can get you stuff in two days. Um, well, if, if you're going to ship in two days, you need more than one big centralized fulfillment center. So what do you do? You start to regionalize. You may open first a second one. Uh, but then Amazon kept pushing that consumer value prop uh, further, like, hey, I can get it there in one day or in, in many cases, even same day. And, and just very simply, what that means is you've got to put the inventory closer to where the people live. Right. And so that starts to drive a regionalization of, of warehousing networks and really the industry in total. The, the cousin to that is, uh, again, back to BOPIS, um, which is also driving a regionalization of warehousing, but not for e-commerce orders necessarily, uh, but for uh, more rapid replenishment of the brick and mortar retail stores. Because, okay. again, I'm moving more product through that. I need to replenish more frequently. If uh, before BOPUS existed, I was replenishing my stores, you know, once a week, I could have uh, six regional distribution centers to feed my uh, uh, retail footprint of X hundred or thousand stores or 12, right? But now if I have to replenish some of my SKUs, not once a week, but three times a week, you know, the physics just states that you got to put inventory closer to these stores and that then... Uh, creates the need to have more nodes in your network, more distribution centers in your mm -hmm. warehousing network. Yeah, no, and it, 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 that definitely could be viewed as a strategic to, uh, a shift in strategies to, to a large degree. And, you know, when you look at the collective shift in strategies, the retail shippers, the retail shippers you work with that they're taking, are, is it more of a matter of adopting, uh, rolling with the punches, rolling with the changes approach uh, when it comes to establishing warehouse footprints? And I'm also just wondering how the events of, uh, of recent years, I guess pandemic specifically there, have altered or influenced playbooks on behalf yeah. of uh, those types of players in, in the market. Yeah, it's such a good question. Look, I think the, the backdrop to all of this, kind of the fundamental backdrop to all of this is uncertainty. Sure. Like COVID, nobody saw coming. It created massive amounts of disruption, uh, and everybody's forecast was wrong, right? But it's not just COVID uh, that causes uh, forecasts to be wrong. Or said another way, it's not just COVID that makes it hard to predict the future. It's just hard to predict the future, right? How many people got the BOPIS, uh, uh, you know, growth right? and got the, we have to ship uh, e-commerce orders faster, right? And that, um, you know, the, the ship was going to get stuck in the Suez Canal. Like the, the future is just incredibly hard to predict. Uh, in fact, it's impossible to predict. And so I think what COVID did for companies is it turned this, you know, we need more agility or redundancy in our supply chains, uh, it turned that conversation into a C-suite conversation, a boardroom conversation. How are we going to build more resilience into our supply chains? And 
The truth is that that would have been great to have for COVID, but it's actually great to have for always because there are always parts of our business that are uncertain. And if we can react more quickly than our competitors, we'll just compete better. We will gain share because we can be more agile, more responsive to things that are going to happen that we never could have predicted or we tried to predict that we were wrong. Uh, and we can gain share when our competitors are staying there flat footed yeah. uh, because, you know, they put in a 10 year investment and it's a really hard thing to sort of navigate around. No, for, uh, absolutely. Um, it, um, a, a good piece of strategy, strategic advice to be sure. So j- just to wrap up here, Carl, because uh, we're, we're getting a bit short on time. Um, what do you think are some of the things uh that you think the companies you work with should be really focusing on as we look ahead, peg it at say the next 12 to 18 months or so. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, build on the point I was just making. I, I think that it, it comes down to asking the question, like what are we doing to build agility into our supply chains, right? Or resiliency, that's a, that's a similar but slightly different concept. Like what are we doing uh, to actually build our strategy around that? What are the investments we're making? Um, and in that, uh, you know, look, uh, we and other, other companies out there uh, can be very helpful with that, sort of baking into your infrastructure the ability to be flexible. I sometimes uh, call that structural flexibility, right? That's a piece of it. I think another, and, and this is a category that's been um, adopted quite, quite broadly, I know it's growing, is supply chain visibility uh, solution. Oh, There's a bunch no of great problem. companies out there right that do this and you know the more visibility you have the earlier warning signals you can get when again something is not playing out how you'd forecast which happens all the time i mean it happens yeah. at a macro level it happens at a micro level the truck was supposed to show up at 2 and it's got a flat tire right you know so the visibility systems give you these early warnings like oops there's something uh out there that's happening you know, a, a, a capability, an operational capability that's flexible gives you the ability to do something about it quickly, right? Visibility says, oh my God, we got a problem. You know, uh, a flexible uh, logistics solution says, oh, and here's how I can navigate around that quickly, right? So I think there's a nice marriage between um, these two relatively new categories in logistics tech um, that have been growing over the past several years. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. No, that's really interesting. Um, all right, well, listen, Carl, this brings us to the end of our allotted time for today's podcast. So on behalf of Logistics Management Magazine and the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group, I'd like to offer up a big thank you for uh, for joining us and spending some time with us today. Happy to do it, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I, no, I really, again, thanks so much. And um, for those of you that are out there on Twitter, uh, please feel free to go ahead and give Flex a follow, simply at Flex, F-L-E-X-E. Don't forget that E on the end. And also please go ahead and give us a logistics management a follow, simply at Logistics M-G-M-T. And, uh, and also if you're not subscribed to our podcast, please go ahead and do so wherever you get your podcast, just go ahead and look for supply chain 24 seven and we should pop right up. So uh, thanks everybody. Have a great day and we'll catch you next time.